0: We will finish the book of 2 Peter today. 2 Peter chapter 3, begin at verse 14. Quick review, last week we talked about the fact that the Lord is not, long, is not slack, but He's long-suffering. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. Uh, that is the fact because there's going to come a day, Peter says, that this earth, everything that we have ever seen, been a part of, Anything that has to do with this earth someday is going to be burned up with fire. It's going to be dissolved. Peter says, because that is going to happen, what manner of persons ought you to be? He's trying to motivate people to realize that we only have one chance on this earth to live faithful to God, and he wants us to take opportunity to do that. He goes on to talk about when all that happens, there'll be a new heaven, a new earth, and we discuss that. Heaven and earth is simply the place where we dwell. And we will have a new dwelling place at the end of time when all of this is destroyed, and that dwelling place will be heaven. Heaven is described a little bit in the book of Revelation. It is uses materialistic words uh, to describe a place of absolute perfection and beauty, and there will be no doubt that it will definitely be that. Beginning at verse 14, the Bible says, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. Therefore, again, always back up and see what it's there for. Because all of these things are going to happen, Peter is making one final appeal to faithfulness. I mean, he's kind of repeating himself over and over and over again. There's going to be a judgment day. You're going to stand before God. Everything's going to be burned up one more chance, I'm trying to tell you guys to be faithful. We found out in in chapter one of this book, Peter says his death was coming shortly. And one of the utmost things on his mind is his love of the brethren. Therefore, beloved, I love you. I care about you. I mean, I've spent, you know, so much of my life has been dedicated to trying to, to convert people, to teach people and and as a Christian, isn't that not how we should be? Should we not love the brethren so much that, that our whole being is, I want you to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven. I want to take people with me. I mean, that's, that's how we should be as a Christian. And that's what Peter's doing. Therefore, beloved, I'm, I'm calling out to you one more time. One more time. It's not going to be long. I'm not going to be able to do that. Please be faithful. Please be faithful. He says, look forward to these things i want to ask you something as a christian do you enjoy this what do you think about it for a minute And, and be honest with yourself as a christian what do you enjoy most about life if it's not christianity if it's not fellowship with your brethren if it's not praising god if it's not doing good are we going to enjoy heaven you ever thought about that he says you need to, as a Christian, be a person that looks forward to these things. You're, you're anxious to get there. You can't wait to be there. You long for heaven. Do we do we do that? You see, sometimes I'm not sure that, that we truly enjoy Christianity. Sometimes I, I'm not sure that we all, when I say we, I'm talking about me. Sometimes I'm not real sure that I'm always, you know, just just anxious to. To do more of things that please God? I I don't know. You see, sometimes our mindset is mixed up. Sometimes our priorities are backwards and, and all of this. Peter says as Christians, we should look forward to it. We should long for that day. We should love to be together. You know, as a Christian, if you can't stand being with other Christians, you wouldn't like heaven anyways. It's not going to be for you. As a Christian, if you don't enjoy worshiping God, you wouldn't like heaven anyways. Not going to be for you. You see, Peter's trying to get people to see that. We should look forward to it. And if it's something I look forward to, it's something I love to do. And again, that might be something we need to work on as Christians. He says, Since I look forward to these things, I've got to be diligent. Diligent means to be most serious about something. It means that I am taking whatever it is in my life that I'm diligent about and, and, and no doubt we are diligent about many things, aren't we? We are diligent about a lot of different things. I, I'm diligent about my work. I take it very seriously. I want to do as well as I can. But what about my Christianity? You see, sometimes I get, I'm talking about me, sometimes I get those priorities mixed up. Sometimes I'm very diligent about my work. Sometimes I'm a little lax. On other things. need to work on that. Peter says, therefore, since all of those things are going to happen, the world's going to be burned up. You're going to stand before God. He says, you better be diligent. He says, you better take it serious. He says, he's making that one final appeal. And he's shooting straight. He's not sugarcoating anything. He says, it's going to happen. You better be serious about it. He says, you better strive. The word means to strive with all of our being. Strive with all of your being to be found in him, he says, without spot and blameless. We need to be found by him when he comes back and he calls us to meet him in the air. Those of us that are Christians, I hope we meet him in the air, every one of us. Because if we don't meet him in the air, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. And when he comes back, Peter says, I want him to find you at that time at peace, at peace, at peace with God most definitely, right? And that's what the, the sacrifice of Jesus did. It made atonement between us and God. Atonement means at one, at one between us and God. I hope every person in here is at peace with God right now. And the only way you can be at peace with God is you have to have the blood of Christ applied to you on a continual basis. So therefore, you've got to be walking in that light on a continual basis. But also, we've got to be at peace with our fellow man. Romans chapter 12, verse 18, As much as life within you live peaceably with all men. When he comes back, he wants to find us at peace. And I hope we're living like that. He says you've got to be diligent to do that, though. It's not easy to be at peace with God, is it? The world, it pulls at us. It's not easy to be at peace with our fellow man. You know, we've got 400 people here in this congregation. It's not easy to be at peace with 400 people, is it? It's not. We've all got differences of opinions, and sometimes we think our opinions are better than others, and, and it's, it, it's hard to be at peace. Peter says you better be diligent to be at peace. Better be diligent. He says be diligent to be found without spot. Without spot. James one twenty seven says, Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this to visit the those widows and, and the orphans and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. That is a difficult thing to do. Difficult thing. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. Don't be conformed to the world. Be unspotted from the world in essence. Every one of us, we live in the world, don't we? Or from time to time, are we influenced by the world? There's no doubt in my mind. At time to time, every person in here is influenced by the world. It's hard to remain unspotted. And that's why he says you've got to be diligent to do this. This is something you've got to strive to do. It doesn't just come naturally. It's a difficult thing. He says, I want you to be found without spot. You know those false teachers that we've talked about in chapter 2 and also in the book of Jude, they were described as spots in their love feasts. Spots in their fellowship with one another. Those false teachers. He says, I, I don't want you to be a spot. I don't want you to be something that, that, that is causing a rift. In fact, in Ephesians 5, he's going to present this church, God's church, the Lord's church, to God without spot and without blemish. He's going to wash it with water by the Word and he does that at baptism and continually by his blood. When we live faithful to Him, we want to be without spot. Peter also says we want to also be blameless. Blameless. Don't you think about that. Blameless means to be without censure, and censure is a strong disapproval. Peter says we need to be found blameless. You know, that's a qualification of the elder, right? It is. But Peter says every Christian should be blameless. We should strive to live our lives without disapproval from others, especially without disapproval from God. And again, that's something we've got to be diligent to do. It doesn't come easily. It's a difficult thing. If I don't hurry up, we'll never finish this book. Verse 15, he says, and consider the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written unto you. He says again, reminding them the same thing he said in verse number 9. Consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. It's the same thing as the Lord's not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slightness, but His long-suffering toward us. He says again, there were people... In chapter 3 that he's dealing with, that said the Lord's not coming back. He's reminding them one last time. It's not because he's lazy. It's not because he's forgotten. It's because he wants people to have salvation. He wants as many people as possible to go to heaven and live with him. Remember, Ezekiel says the Lord does not delight in the death of the wicked, but he wants everybody to repent. Peter's reminding them that one last time. And then he goes on to say is also our beloved brother Paul. I want you to think about this for a minute why would Peter go back and refer to Paul had there been some division in the past some some maybe almost head-butting between he and Paul there was a time and maybe it had nothing to do with them too but in first Corinthians chapter one especially in verse 12 there were people that wanted to hold to one or the other right some say you're of Paul some say you're of Apollos some say you're of Cephas Cephas being Peter You know, and some say you're of the Lord. People had put them, you know, in different brackets over here. I was baptized by Paul. I'm following him. I was baptized by Peter. I'm following him. And and I think Peter here is saying, listen, we're on the same team. There's no division. There's no uh, competition. There's none of that. In fact, I want you to understand Paul is a beloved brother. We're equal. Galatians 3 verse 28, we're all one in Christ. No big I and little you in any of that. Paul's my beloved brother. Also, I want to notice something else. In Galatians chapter 2, beginning in about verse 11, the apostle Paul strongly rebuked Peter. Strongly rebuked him. Peter had been uh, at, at a place here, and he was fellowshipping with the Gentiles, and things were good until certain Jews came. And then Peter separated himself, and he just started speaking to the Jews, and he was... He was shunning the Gentiles. And man, Paul says, I withstood him to the face. In fact, he goes on to call him a hypocrite. He's very hard on Peter. Peter holding a grudge. No. no. And we need to learn that as Christians from time to time in our lives. If we, if we find each other in sin, what are we supposed to do? Galatians 6, verse 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such one in the spirit of meekness, consider thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Paul said if you find a brother in a fault, you talk to him about it. Jesus said Matthew 18, 15 through 18, if somebody sins against you, go tell him about it. Why? Because you want to show him how much better you are than him? No. Is that why Paul did it? No. Paul did it because he loved Peter. And he loved his soul. And Peter had the right attitude. He accepted it as such. And as Christians, we need to do that as well. We need to be our brother's keeper. You know, when Cain killed Abel and the Lord come and asked Cain, where's your brother? He made a sarcastic, smart aleck, what I would say, comment. Am I my brother's keeper? I'm going to tell you something. Every person in here that's Christian, you're your brother's keeper. Or at least you should be. You should look out for each other. I think Peter here is showing his appreciation to Paul. Paul called him out when he was wrong. Listen, that's that's what I want as a Christian. If you see me going down the wrong path, by all means, call me out on it. Call me out on it. Because that's the only way I'll ever be better. If I don't hear a sermon from time to time that stomps on my toes, I will never be better. I need things in my life to hold me accountable. And and Peter understood that. And he called Paul his beloved brother. He appreciated him so much because he was willing to stand up for what was right, even when it was difficult. He says, Paul had wisdom that was given him. Peter's telling us here that Paul is writing by inspiration. It wasn't worldly wisdom, and and, and Paul himself made that claim in in the book of 1 Corinthians, especially chapter 2. He says, I I don't speak in worldly wisdom. I don't do that. He says, I just preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I, I just preach what I'm given. And he says, He's written to you. He's written to you. Paul had written his epistles, and they were being circulated amongst the exact same group of people. And they were saying the same things. I want you to think about that. Verse 16. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some hard to be understood, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the Scriptures. He says all of Paul's epistles are inspired. They're inspired. And he says... In those, he's saying the same things that I said. Same things. Isn't it wonderful when when you've got preachers that can work together and they teach the same things? How would it work here at Willow Avenue if Don and I teach something different? How's that going to work? Well, what if I'm teaching something up here and Chase is back there in class and he's teaching something totally different? How's that going to work? It's not going to work, is it? In order for this thing to work, you've got to teach the same things. All these times that I've been to India and my father-in-law Jack's been to India, why is there such success? Because those preachers there, they go about and they teach and they teach. And we go over there and we teach the exact same thing and it confirms what they have already heard. And people, they realize it, it's the truth. And they want to accept that truth and obey the gospel and and. Peter here is commending Paul. He told you the same things. You've read his epistles. They've been circulated. You've heard them read whenever you got together. All of these things, they're the same things. He says, but some of those things are hard to be understood. I want you to think about it just for a second. If Peter says some of those things Paul wrote about is hard to be understood. Think maybe some of them maybe a little hard for us to understand. What does it mean that it's hard to understand? I think we can take that in different ways. But I want you to tell you something that it's not. Certain religions, certain denominations, they will teach that the common person doesn't need to read the Bible. Why? Too hard to be understood. Can't understand it, so you've got to have someone that is called by God Someone that can stand up before you and they can explain exactly what it means. Is that what Peter's saying? Not in any shape, form, or fashion. But did Paul write some difficult things? Yeah. He did write some difficult things. But none of those things that are difficult has to do or pertains with my salvation, does it? Did Paul make it difficult when it came to how to become a Christian? No, not at all. Did did Paul make it difficult when it came to how to live just a day-to-day practical Christian life? Did he make that difficult? No. But are there some things that are difficult? Yes. Yes. In, In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul wrote about a coming apostasy that was already at work, and he talks about a man of sin. And he goes on and he describes a lot of things about this man of sin. Is that a deep subject? That's a deep subject. To me it is. I'm not very smart. That's a deep, deep subject. And it's hard sometimes to grasp what all of those things mean and apply it correctly to who it is. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 29, the Apostle Paul talks about baptism for the dead. Is that kind of a deep, difficult subject? yeah, because we don't really have anything else about it. And and Paul's bringing this thing up that these people were a part of or taking part of at this time because of some idea. We don't really have a whole lot to go with it. First Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in about verse 23, talks about the end of Christ's reign as mediator. And at the end, he's going to deliver up the kingdom and and all of those things. And that is a deep, And that's hard to really wrap our mind around and completely grasp. Go on in 1 Corinthians 15 a little further. He talks about the resurrection and and we're going to be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. And I understand that, but that's hard to wrap my mind around, isn't it? It's hard to wrap my mind around that just like that, this mortal will put on immortality. That's, That's difficult to understand. Never experienced that before, right? It's difficult to kind of grasp Maybe exactly where he's going with that. Romans chapter 8 talks about in the latter part the whole creation groans together uh, for, for the coming of the Lord and all of that. That's kind of difficult. That's hard. Romans chapter 8, when it talks about the Spirit helps in our infirmities, that's a deep, deep subject. And sometimes it's hard for us to grasp all of that because our minds are so finite. So Paul wrote some difficult things. And we're going to finish 2 Peter today, but I'm going to take the next few weeks and we may talk about some of these things that he's dealing with right here. Some of these things that people twist. But then there's a lot of things in the Bible that people claim to be hard to be understood. And they do that for a purpose that Peter tells us. He says, some people, they like to twist it. Why do they do that? Somebody tell me, why do people twist Scripture? so they can do what they want to. That's a big one. Sometimes, do people, they already have their mind made up before they get to Scripture, so therefore they will pull out of Scripture what they need to make it go hand in hand with what they already believe? Yeah, they do that. He says the people that do this, they're unlearned. Unlearned is ignorant. It's not a bad word. It's not a derogatory word. It simply means sometimes people do this and, and they've never been taught any different. Maybe sometimes they don't understand, but it'll still lead to their destruction. Just because somebody doesn't know any better doesn't necessarily mean that they can stand before God based on ignorance. God doesn't wink at ignorance anymore, Acts 17 verse 30. He says, but a lot of people are just unstable. Unstable. What does that mean? word unstable. It means without conviction. I want to ask you something. Do you think the Lord's church today, do you think people have as much conviction 2022 as they did in 1970? Not in any shape, form, or fashion. You see, conviction amongst a people today, that's frowned upon, isn't it? People don't want us to have conviction. Why? Because ultimately, we live in a society anything and everything goes. Right? I was getting ready this morning and I guess my wife had the news on and it was talking about this whole Supreme Court Roe versus Wade and people are saying they don't need to change that. That's the foundational principles of our country and all of this. And I'm thinking, where in the world does people get that? They don't have any convictions anymore. People don't think you can say abortion's wrong anymore because ultimately everybody's okay in whatever they want to do. And even that has spilled into the church. People today have that community church ideology. We can't condemn anybody. We can't can't condemn anything anybody does, and and we just want to be unified in diversity. Dan sent an article to us just this week, and that's what it was about. This whole idea of just anything goes. And we need to be unified no matter what you believe, no matter what you practice. Is that Bible? Ephesians 4 verse 3 says, Endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace as christians i've got to fight for unity of the spirit the spirit is the revealed word of god god's way is final absolute and as a christian i'm to stand upon that and that means i got to have some convictions. and when we have convictions sometimes people are offended right i mean if we're going to be honest that's true When we stand on our convictions, people are offended and they get upset and they don't like it and they call us a hate group and they belittle us and they do everything else under the sun and that's kind of just a bad word today. But you see, I'm afraid the church is not growing like she should because people don't have convictions. Shame on us for not having convictions. You see, what happens is congregations of the Lord's church will not stand on their convictions, and therefore congregation after congregation are changing. If you don't believe it, open your eyes, pull your head up out of the sand, and look around. Congregations of the Lord's church are changing everywhere. And it's because of a lack of conviction. And when you have a lack of conviction, you twist the Scripture. You see, Peter says not only do they twist what Paul taught, but they do it with all Scripture. They twist it into whatever it is uh, that they want it to be. Ephesians 2.89, has that Scripture been twisted? Yeah. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. I I debated a man one time uh, in the denomination, and... And he stood up and it was about salvation. And he stood up and he read Ephesians 2, 8, 9. He says, that's it, I'm done. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, we we went on and on back and forth for a pretty good while. but that's all he had to go on. And, and he didn't have a clue what Paul was even talking about. He just already had his preconceived idea and he didn't want to talk about anything else. He didn't want to talk about anything else. You see, he twisted that scripture to suit his pleasure. In Romans chapter 5, the last couple verses talks about God has enough grace for however much sin there is. Did those people even twist that in those days? Yes. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 Well, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Don't twist that into saying God's got plenty of grace, therefore I can live however I want to, and there's plenty of grace to cover it. Don't twist that. Don't take it too far. He says, be careful in what you do. careful in what you do. Do people twist the next verses when it comes to baptism? Yes. Let me ask you something. Do people take the Bible and they pull out a verse that suits their pleasure and they hold to that verse and they don't bother in any shape, form, or fashion to look at anything surrounding it to see what he's talking about? Yeah, I have had people tell me before. You said something when you were preaching, whatever, wherever. I don't remember if I said it or not, but I'm thinking I don't. I don't think I would have said that. But what they do is they take maybe one thing I said and they don't take any context that I said it. And what happens? They can twist my words, can't they? They can twist my words. We do the same thing with scripture. If we don't study scripture. In the right way, and that goes back to being diligent too. Second Timothy two fifteen, the King James says, "Study to show thyself approved." The New King James says, "Be diligent to present thyself approved to God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth." As a Christian, if I'm not careful, I can twist a lot of scriptures. And Peter is warning of that very thing right here. In the class that I'm teaching on Wednesday night, we've been talking about gray area and we actually haven't started talking about specific gray areas but we've been looking at a lot of scripture talking about how we're to treat each other when we have a a disagreement over something the bible's not real clear and, and we look this past week first corinthians chapter 6 verse 12 the apostle paul says all things are lawful for me but not all things are helpful You think people twist that all things are lawful for me therefore I like that verse, don't you? That means I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. It's okay. It's lawful for me to do that. Is that what Paul had in mind? The whole context is dealing with, uh, and there in chapter 6, chapter 8, chapter 10, it's continually the same thing. People are struggling uh, with holding on to Judaism and bringing some of that into Christianity. They're trying to bind some things that God has already nailed to the cross and let go, and part of that's eating meat that was sacrificed to idols, and and there's matters of conscience, but he's not talking about everything in general. If he is, Paul contradicted everything that he said was wrong. Paul's condemned a lot of things in his writing, and then for him to go say everything's lawful, you see, if I don't take that the way it was intended, people can do just what Peter's saying. They look at things Paul said, And maybe in their mind, it's hard to be understood. But it's hard to be understood sometimes because people don't want to understand. Right? You ever had somebody tell you that they didn't understand you when you know full well you were plain? Your children ever pull that on you? Well, Dad, I didn't understand what you were saying. You lying thing, you knew exactly what I was saying. You just, you didn't want to understand it. I mean, right? My sons here, I can pick on him. Uh, that happens, right? Don't I, I've done that before. I, I didn't understand. Oh, you understood. You understood? But again, preconceived ideas. We've got to be careful with that. Galatians chapter 5 stand fast in the liberty where Christ, He's made you free. Have people abused that? We, you know, in the church, we've got liberty. We've got liberties, therefore. Whatever. Worship however we want to. Do what we want to. It doesn't matter if you've been married 12 times. We've got liberty. None of that matters. You think people have taken what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and they twisted that on marriage, divorce, and remarriage into what they wanted to say? Yeah. They've done so many things. And we've got to be careful. That word twist means to change the meaning, to twist the context, to suit the purpose. And that's what people do. Peter says, we've got to be careful. He says they twist the scriptures to their own destruction. Why don't you to think about that? If I take and I twist what God said, go back to Don's lesson this morning. What did Jeroboam do? He knew where God said to worship, God was plain, right? Worship in Jerusalem. You do it on this day. What did Jeroboam do? He twisted it to his own destruction. Not only did he twist it to his own destruction, he twisted it to multitudes of people that followed in the same sinfulness. Those kings that came after him, the Bible would say he did evil in the sight of the Lord and followed in the sins of Jeroboam. And that said over and over and over again, because one man decided to twist Scripture. He said they twist it to their own destruction as they do also the rest of Scripture. We've got to be so careful uh, when it comes to those things. we got five minutes. We're going to do the last two verses. He says, you therefore, you therefore, as Christians, you, you, you're Christians, don't twist the Scriptures, don't do that, hold fast to what God says, beloved, again, one more time, telling them how much you loved them, He says, since you know this beforehand, since you know that people are going to do this, I'm warning you of things that you're going to face in this life. He says, be careful. Be very careful. He says, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. You know people's going to twist scriptures. You know people's going to change things to suit their own pleasure, to make it what they want it to be, and I'm telling you this right now, he says, because you can fall from your own steadfastness. You can be at a place in your Christianity, and man, I mean, you're walking right down the line, you're doing the things that you need to do, and if you're not careful, somebody will pull you away from that. Max Licato, at one time I have told, was a faithful Christian. What happened? He's a big-time name, right? What happened? Somebody pulled him away from that with some twisted scripture. And now, that's not what he is anymore. Rupal Shelley, at one time, man, I mean, he was held in high regard as a faithful Christian. What happened? Somewhere along the line, there was some twisted scripture. Fell from his own steadfastness. That can happen to any person in this assembly. Any person. Nobody is too big to fall. People can be led away with the air of the wicked. Don't you notice something else? Again, the religious world has twisted scriptures and saying once you have salvation, you can never fall from that salvation. If that's the case, why did Peter waste his breath on verse 17? Not only that, but I mean, he he's wrote it through the whole book. Why does the Bible talk about that so much? Beware, beware, be careful, be careful. When I don't want you to fall. I want you to hold true. To where... Why does the Bible waste uh, ink writing if what the religious world said is true and they twist it, you can't lose it? Once your ticket's punched. I've heard that so many times. Once your ticket's punched, you got it. doesn't matter. Why does Peter warn us? It doesn't matter why warn me. You're wasting breath. You're wasting writing. He says, don't fall, don't fall, don't be led away with the error of the wicked. He says, but instead grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to Him with the glory both now and forever. Amen. Instead of being led away by the error of the wicked, he says, the best, the best thing to fight against that is to grow as a Christian and grow in God's grace. What is God's grace? That's His divine favor, Grow in favor with God. How do you grow in favor with anybody? You live pleasing to them, right? You live pleasing. People, uh, we grow in favor with one another by being what? By being pleasing. When we do good for one another, when we try to live right before each other, I grow in your favor, you grow in my favor, right? That's common sense. We're common sense people, right? He says, don't just grow in favor. He says, Growing knowledge. Growing knowledge. I told you when we started the book of 2 Peter that the whole theme of the book is knowledge. How do you fight against error? How do you get to the point where you're not going to be tricked by error? You are constantly filling your mind with the knowledge of God. You're constantly testing the spirits. 1 John 4, verse 1. You're constantly studying to show yourself approved to God. You're a person that takes this very serious. It's something you're diligent in doing. You want to be found without spot and blameless. You want to be at peace with God, so therefore you need to know as much as possible about God. Don't let this be the only time this week that you study the Bible. Get in that book, and it will help you to be the Christian God wants you to be. He says to Him be the glory both now and forever. As a Christian, I need to glorify God right now if I expect to be able to glorify Him throughout eternity. I appreciate your attention this morning.